It's a good day. How's everybody doing today? Yeah, I am super excited to destroy Chase at the next board game. I'm just going to say, I don't, you can pick the game, buddy. Uh, it's, it's on. This week is the last week of our 90,000. We've been talking over the last four weeks about how our faith should impact our work. And it has been a super convicting and challenging series, at least for me. I don't know how you felt, but it has been really convicting for me. Uh, today's not going to be any better, but we'll get there in just a minute. Next week, though, I am super excited. We start a series we're calling Favorites. And what we're doing is inviting five different speakers to come up and share their favorite Bible story with you. Why that's their favorite, what they've learned from it. And I'm most excited, three of the five will be first-time speakers at Great Oaks. And so please make sure, I know it's summer, I know it's like, oh my gosh, we got vacation and travel and all of those things to do. Please make sure that you tune in. That's why we're so thankful for online. If you're there today, we're glad to see you. Uh, you can check us out from everywhere or anytime, Monday, 5 p.m. Watch us while you eat dinner. It's all right. Uh, but please make sure you check out those sermons and I'm really excited to hear from each of those guests. So as we've walked this journey through faith and work, we've taken a look at first how we were designed for work, but work was broken because of the fall. From there we moved to how we have taken work and we've made it our God. We've made it an idol that we worship. And we need to make sure we keep God in the place in the center of our lives and allow work to be something that supports that relationship we have with God. We took a look at how our attitude affects our work, and last week we dug into that really uncomfortable topic of what to do with a difficult coworker, and maybe the extra difficult part was, and what if I am the difficult coworker, right? So we've, we've been there, and so as we wrap this series up, we have one other key thing we need to talk about when we talk about work, and it's rest. Maybe this is the hardest part for all of us. We live in a country and in a culture where rest is not the normal thing anymore. We work and we work and we work. If I'm honest, of all the five weeks as I was writing and preparing this series, this is the week I have least been looking forward to. I do not rest well. I was thankful for a rainy Saturday because I get to the end of a rainy Saturday and I feel less guilty about life when I didn't maybe accomplish all the things I wanted to accomplish, right? Anybody else in the room have a restful day? And then at the end of that restful day think, I feel so guilty right now. That's a little where I get to. If you talk to my wife, she's like, it's a little more than a little where you get to. But we are surrounded in this idea of rest. I mean, think about the American culture for just a minute. The U.S. is the only country in all of the Americas without a national paid parental leave benefit. Every other country has at least 12 weeks of paid leave for mom and dad every time a baby's born. In Europe, it's 20 on average. Of all 134, at least 134 countries have laws about maximum length of a work week. The U.S. does not. If you're a full-time employed female in the U.S., you work an average of 8.33 hours a day. And men, we work an average of 9.09 .09 hours a day. I think, honestly, that just means we lie more than the women do, but we won't go there. <laughs> <laughs> 
American workers on average per year work 435 more hours a year than our German counterparts. That's an entire day a week. We're 400 more than those in the UK, 365 more than those in France, and 169 more than our Japanese equivalents. And the U.S. remains the only industrialized country in the world with no mandatory minimum requirement for paid vacation. We live in a culture that values work, that pushes us to work, that says we've got to keep working, right? We've got to earn the American dream. But of all the statistics I looked at, you can look at those and say, well, but we do it different, and that's totally fine. The two that are most shocking to me all come from inside of each one of us. 77% of U.S. workers get paid vacation. Only 51% of them use their vacation time. Half! We literally throw away paid time off every year. And I look at that and I'm like, who does that? And I'm like, oh yeah, I do that. It's now the end of June. I have used three days vacation up to this Sunday. That is way less than half of my vacation time. Why are we doing this to ourselves? And then even worse, when we do take vacation, 61% of the people surveyed say they work on their vacation. This thing's fantastic if it's used well. But let's face it, we don't use it very well. We don't know how to turn the notifications off. We don't know how to shut it down. And we keep working. In 2013, the average American worker spent 13.5 hours a day on their phone with work. Available 13.5 hours a day through their phone. That's crazy. Why do we do this to ourselves? The statistics I looked at said 33% of us are afraid no one else in the company can do the work. Ooh, that's hard to stomach. Are we really, I'm going to say it, are we really that arrogant? I know sometimes I am. It's not going to get done the same way if I don't do it. 28% are afraid of getting behind. 19% feel like they'd be disconnected. 17% fear if I take my vacation, I'll lose my job which probably ties to the other 6% who are just outright afraid of their boss. Please don't ask the staff. Every one of those things, and I deleted a few from the list, start with fear. Why don't we take our time off? Why do we have a disproportionate view of work? Because we're afraid. I hope that over the last four weeks, you've seen that we have a much better and greater why for our work than fear, and we have a much better and greater why for our resting than fear. The Bible doesn't let us get away with this. 257 times throughout the pages of Scripture, the Bible says we are to rest. That's a reasonable amount of time. I think we should pause and take a look at that. 
And if you're one of those people this morning and you're here and you're like, you know what? I need to rest today. I think the best thing I could do is take a nap. That's okay. Just don't snore. Don't disturb your neighbor. And don't miss this point. If you miss everything else today because you're like, I needed to rest. Thanks for the permission to do that. Don't miss this. We have to remember to rest because we have to rest to remember. We have to remember to rest because we have to rest to remember. You see, biblical rest is not just about a day off. It's not about taking a weekend and binge watching our favorite show on Netflix. It's not about planning that vacation that we can post on social media and make all of our friends jealous. It means some of those things, but it means so much more than just that. The word we think about when we think about rest in the Bible is the Sabbath, or the Hebrew word Shabbat. That word means to cease or to rest. But if you look at that in context, if you take that in full context of what it means, Shabbat, the heart of it is to remember or to observe. So if we have to rest to remember, what are we supposed to remember when we rest? I think the first thing is we are to remember we are free. I want to take you all the way back to the commandment to honor the Sabbath. God gives it in two places, to Moses in Exodus 20, and then Moses records it again in Deuteronomy chapter 5. So Deuteronomy 5, 12 says this, Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. As the Lord your God has commanded you, you have six days each week for your ordinary work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath day of rest, dedicated to the Lord your God. On that day, no one in your household may do any work. This includes you, your sons and daughters, your male and female servants, your oxen and donkeys and other livestock, and any foreigners living among you. All your male and female servants must rest as you do. Remember, you were once slaves in Egypt, but the Lord your God brought you out with his strong hand and powerful arm. That's why the Lord your God has commanded you to rest on the Sabbath day. God gave this command to rest to a people who had just come from slavery. To a people who didn't get to rest. As slaves in Egypt, I really doubt that the slave masters cared if their slaves got a day off. They probably didn't even care if they died doing the work they were tasked to do. But God says, for you, my people, it's going to be different. Not only are you to rest, your animals are to rest. The guests in your home are to rest. Your servants will rest. And as you rest, you are to remember me. Remember that you're free. You're not slaves. You're not pushed down. You're not oppressed. You're free to worship. Only free people have a time to rest. And as they rest, they remind, remember that God, what God has provided for them, who God is, and his presence in their lives. But the Sabbath time of rest didn't stop just with the Israelites. Jesus continues this theme in the New Testament. Take a look and listen to Mark chapter 2, verse 23 through 28. 
One day, as Jesus was walking through some grain fields, his disciples began breaking off heads of grain to eat. But the Pharisees said to Jesus, Look, why are they breaking the law by harvesting grain on the Sabbath? Jesus said to them, Haven't you read in the scriptures what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He went inside the house of God during the days when Abathar was high priest and broke the law by eating the sacred loaves of bread that only the priests are allowed to eat. He also gave some to his companions. Then Jesus said to them, The Sabbath was made to meet the needs of the people and not people to meet the requirements of the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is even is Lord even over the Sabbath. I think the Pharisees had gotten so wrapped up in the law. They had 39 different laws judging what is work on the Sabbath and what is not. The closest thing I can think about to that is that when I worked at Chick-fil-A for nine months, we had 17 steps to the perfect chicken sandwich. I'm like, it is a bun, a chicken breast, and two pickles. How can we have 17 steps? But there were 17 ways to make the perfect chicken sandwich. The Pharisees have made 39 laws about work on the Sabbath. And they have pressed those laws in on the people. And the Pharisees have forgotten that they are free. They've allowed the Sabbath to become a burden. Think about it. The disciples are walking along the road. They reach out and pick some grain to have like an afternoon snack. And in doing that, they broke two of the 39 laws. They have reaped. They picked the grain. That's one. And then they threshed it. When they rubbed it together to get the chaff off, that's the threshing. And you're not allowed to reap or thresh on the Sabbath. What? What? Like, I get it. You don't want to get the combine out and, like, take down the whole field. But they wanted a snack as they were walking along the road. Free people don't live in a context so pressed down by the law. And the Pharisees are making this accusation based on oral tradition that they have created, not on the written law that God gave them. The written law superseded this, and that's why Jesus goes back and tells this story of David who walks in with his men hungry and in need and eats what was forbidden by the law for him to eat. And then he says, man was made for the Sabbath. We were made for rest. Not to be pushed down, not to be trapped, not to be shoved inside. Pharisees, remember, God gave this law to your people when they were slaves so they would know they are free. Jesus is saying, don't re-enslave my people to the law. The law was given so that we know what it looks like to live in relationship and in free relationship with God who loves us and wants a relationship with us. Not to make us feel oppressed. Priscilla Shire in her book says, God always and eternally intended the Sabbath to be a lifestyle, an attitude, a perspective, and an orientation that enables us to govern our lives and steer clear of bondage. When we forget to rest, when we refuse to take a day off, 
we walk back into that bondage and we get trapped. Trapped by our fear. Fear of rejection. Fear of not living up to the standard. Fear of not being worth what we want to, everybody else to think we're worth. But church, we're free. We're free to rest. We're free to trust that we are who God says we are. And we're free to remember that God is with us and that God is providing for us. And we're free to remember that he's in control. And so when we think about work and rest, it's not just a nap on a Sunday afternoon, it's a remembering that we're free. But when we rest, we don't always only remember that we're free, we also remember who God is. Take a look at Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. So the creation of the heavens and the earth and everything in them was completed. On the seventh day, God had finished his work of creation, so he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy because it was the day when he rested from all his work of creation. We serve and we worship a God who created everything we see, who knit us together uniquely, who designed all of this. And at the end of that time, when he was done, he rested. And yet we, his creation, made in his image, Genesis tells us in 126 and 27, believe that we don't need to rest. So the God who created us says, I am a God who works and a God who rests. And we in our arrogance believe that we can do it without rest. Believe that God might have needed to rest, but I can do it without that. You see, church, when we rest, when we decide to obey God's command, when we decide to do what God has asked us to do, we reflect his image one more time to those around us. We look different from the world who says, I'm not going to follow Jesus when we rest, when we choose to trust that God is who God says he is and that God will do what God says he'll do, and we rest. And maybe that's the clearest command that Jesus gives in Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 through 30. He says, come to me all who are weary and heavy burdened and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I'm humble and gentle at heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy to bear and my burden I give you is light. Jesus' invitation to come and rest is an invitation to the life we were designed for. It's a life lived in relationship with our creator who gives us the strength we need who doesn't promise that life will be easy, but who promises that he'll go through the ups and downs of life with us. It's when we trust in him that we allow, that he allows us to rest 
Rest from constantly seeking the approval of those around us. Rest from trying to live up to everyone else's standard. Rest to the unrealistic pace of life we set for ourselves and the expectations that other people put on us. Jesus says, give me all of that and I'll give you rest. It is easy to stand up here, be the only guy in the room with a microphone. All of you are at least arm's distance away. You're also out of the spit zone, so that's good. And act like I've got it all together. But the truth is, if I let you below the surface, my desire to not rest comes from a desire for you to approve of me. To like me. To not look incompetent at what I'm doing. And so we don't rest. It comes from not trusting and resting that Jesus' yoke is light. And that even if all of you walk out of here and go, that guy can't preach. Jesus still looks at me and says, you're my beloved son. Church, when we remember who God is, we're able to rest. We're able to experience his peace. And it doesn't matter what everybody else thinks. Because God says we're his sons and his daughters. Author Shauna Nyquist in her book, Present Over Perfect, says this, Present Over Perfect is about rejecting the myth that every day is a new opportunity to prove our worth and about the truth that our worth is inherent, given by God, and not earned by our hustling. Jesus says, give me your burdens and let me speak worth and purpose into your life. And lastly, when we rest, we remember our why. The story I want to read about our why is found in Luke chapter 6, but you can also find it in Matthew and Mark, and there's similar stories. But in Luke 6, 6, Jesus, this story is told about Jesus. On another Sabbath day, a man with a deformed right hand was in the synagogue while Jesus was teaching. And the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees watched Jesus closely. If he healed the man's hand, they planned to accuse him of working on the Sabbath. But Jesus knew their thoughts. That phrase happens a lot in the Gospels. It's slightly terrifying. He knew it. They didn't say it. He knew what they were thinking. Just let that sink in for a minute. He said to the man with the deformed hand, come and stand in front of everyone. So the man came forward. Then Jesus said to his critics, I have a question for you. Does the law permit good deeds on the Sabbath? Or is it a day for doing evil? Is this a day to save life or to destroy it? He looked around at them one by one, then said to the man, hold out your hand. So the man held out his hand and it was restored and his in, the enemies of Jesus were wild with rage and began to discuss what to do with him. As I read these stories of Jesus' encounter with the Pharisees on the Sabbath, I can't help but ask myself, I wonder when the last time they rested was. I don't know about you guys, but when I get tired, when I don't rest, I get a little cranky. 
And when I get a little cranky, what I begin to do is focus on the what. The what for the Pharisees was the Sabbath rest. We are to rest on the Sabbath. And they've totally forgotten their why. They don't know why they're resting. We're just going to rest. We made 39 laws. We got to rest. But are we any different? When we focus on our what and we forget the why, we become legalistic. We become self-centered. We become judgmental. And quite honestly, we become pretty unloving. When we focus on the what, we forget that God gave this command to a group of former slaves so that they would know what it meant to rest. When we don't rest, we can so easily focus on our what and not on our why. And the why is where our mission comes from. The why is the heart of the Father. The why is what matters. Christian comedian Michael Jr. says, when you know your why, your what becomes more impactful because you're walking towards it in your purpose. You see, when we take the time to rest and remember our why, why we're supposed to work with integrity and why we're supposed to rest, we understand the core of it all. And Jesus summed that up for his disciples and the Pharisees in Matthew 22. When he was asked, what's the greatest commandment? Love your Lord with all your God. Or love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophet are based on these two commands. Love God and love people. Commandments one through four of the Ten Commandments are all about how we love God. Why do we obey them? Because God has loved us with a love that we don't deserve. My why for the Sabbath is because it's an act of obedience and gratitude to a God who loved me. And when I live in obedience and gratitude to the God who loved me, I am more able to go out and love the people around me. Can we have an honest conversation for a minute? I think too many of us inside the church are just burnt out. We're tired. We haven't rested. And I think it shows so clearly in our Facebook posts, in our divisive attitudes towards people who don't agree with us. And I can't help but wonder if we would remember God's command to rest if maybe we wouldn't be a little more loving, a little more merciful, a little more forgiving, and a little more understanding of people who hold different opinions than us. And church, I wonder if we would rest, if maybe we wouldn't be able to have healthier conversations 
and then once again be able to disagree and still love each other. And maybe if we began to model that for a world that needs to know love, maybe we would look a little more appealing to people who don't know Jesus. Because that's our mission to bring life. We have the message of the gospel to share. We're called to bring life. We have to remember to rest because we have to rest to remember. I'm out of time, but three quick ways about how we do that. You gotta schedule rest. We have to start putting it in our calendar. Everything else is in our Google calendar or whatever calendar you use. Mine's Google, beeps all the time at me. Where's our rest? When's the last time we scheduled a day off? When's the last time we turned all of our notifications off on our phone so work couldn't bother us? Maybe we need to spend one day doing something different than we normally do. You know, if you work with your hands and you're active all the time, maybe what you need to do is spend one day reading a book painting something, doing something relaxing. For those of us who sit behind a desk all the time, maybe we need to get up and be active. It's why my family and I used to go on bike rides on Saturday. It's been really convicting. I told you, it's been convicting. It's been a long time since I got on a bike ride for six hours with my wife and kids and just went out and enjoyed the day. Maybe we need to pick one day each week and do something different. Third, who's holding us accountable? Who are you going to let in enough to see underneath the surface and say, hey, you know what? I want you to ask me. I want you to ask me when the last time I rested was. I don't want us to become legalistic about this, but what's it look like? Are you going to set aside a day? Are you going to set aside an hour, hour and a half each day in the middle of the day to just rest, to reflect, to remember who God is and what he's done? That's the heart of the Sabbath. Eugene Peterson says every seven days we should take some uncluttered time and space to distance ourselves from the frenzy of our own activities so we can see what God has been and is doing. Church, what's God doing in your life? What's he doing all around you? If we don't know, Maybe we need to rest. Will you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, God, thank you that you designed us to take breaks. Thank you that you modeled what that looks like for us. Thank you that you set us free. God, I ask and pray that you would convict us. God, we're sorry for thinking we can do it without rest. We're sorry for the ways that we haven't been loving to those around us, for the ways we've forgotten our why. God, give us strength. Give us humility to apologize where we need to apologize. Give us humility to acknowledge what we need to change and give us the courage we need to change it. God, we want to live lives of gratitude and thanks back to you for the freedom you have given to us. We pray all this in Jesus' name and by the power of the Holy Spirit.
Amen.